Now, this morning we want to uh, wrap up this series of messages on uh, Christ's prayer for the church. If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to John chapter 17. Uh, This is probably one of the most powerful prayers uh, that we see in Scripture, and it is prayed just before Jesus goes to the cross. Uh, He is uh, preparing himself uh, to bear the sins of the whole world. Uh, he has been separated from his Father. He longs to be back with his Father to experience the glory that he had shared with the Father in eternity past. But in this last section of the prayer, beginning at verse 20, uh, we see the passion of Christ in a, a very significant way. So, Will you please stand as we read John 17, beginning at verse 20, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. My prayer for is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's speaking about you and me there. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is a prayer in which Jesus is passionately pleading that those who believe in him experience the the oneness, the, the complete unity that he and his Father have had from eternity past. It is the greatest testimony that any body of believers can have to a lost world is their unity in Christ and that they can experience this love that God had for Jesus, that Jesus has for his Father, and also the love that he has for us. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand this in a new way today. Father, we do love you. We recognize that we have much to learn, we have much to understand. So many times, Lord, we get focused on ourselves and we forget about the fact that you're praying for us every single day, that the God of the universe is loving us with a love that we can't even begin to describe. And that that love that he has placed within us is to be shared among the people of God so that the world will believe that you have come from God 
And you're the only one who can save us and bring us into a life-changing relationship with the Father. So thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to study together your word, open our eyes and our ears so that we can behold wonderful things from your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we come now to the last six verses of John 17, uh, we see the passion of Christ in a very unique way. Uh, As he is pouring out himself in prayer to his Father, the one thing that he is more passionate about than anything else in this prayer is that those who identify with him, his own, over and over again in this passage, you see the phrase, his own, that his own that have been bought with a price and, and been uh, transformed by his grace, that his own be one and be brought to complete unity. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. He is speaking here to his heavenly Father. Already he has expressed the desire to be reunited with his Father and to experience the glory that he had laid aside to put on human flesh so that he could go to the cross and lay down his life for us. And he's also prayed that we would be growing disciples, that we would, we would be people that would never cease thirsting and hungering after God. But now his main concern is that those who have heard the message that his apostles have preached, the message that is in this book, that those who have embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord, that they may be one in the very same way that he and his Father are one. Now, stop and think about this for just a minute. With a lost world on his mind, with nails soon to be piercing his hands and his feet, with our sins about to be placed upon him, with the welfare of the church weighing heavily upon him, with betrayal and denial soon to take place, Jesus is praying for unity. He is praying that those who have believed his message may be one, that they would experience this complete unity that he has with his Father. He is in the Father, the Father is in him. He is pleading with his own that they be undivided in their quest to be one. Now you'll notice here in John 17 that he pleads with his Father uh, at least four times for this difficult objective. In verse 11, notice, so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, may they be brought to complete unity. This is the burden, this is the passion of our Lord 
as he beseeches his father just before going to the cross and paying the supreme penalty for our sins so that we could be set free and experience the joy of life eternal. Now, before we go any further, we need to define the unity for which the Lord is praying. Uh, Number one, he is not begging his Father to make us all alike. He is not praying for uniformity. You see, every single one of us have been made in the image of God. We're all unique. We have different personalities and different perspectives. He didn't create us to be robots. (laughs) He values the differences that he's created in us. And we need to be thankful for those differences and thankful for the fact that we have been made in his image to accomplish his will, but he doesn't expect us always to be exactly alike. And all God's people said, oh, that was weak. (laughs) He doesn't expect us to always approach things exactly the same way. So he's not pleading here for uniformity. Number two, he is not pleading or praying for unanimity. It's not our Lord's passion that we always agree on our neighbor, never able to express our differences. It's okay to look at things different. He's made us that way. It's perfectly okay. Praise God. I appreciate, I don't know about you, but I appreciate different perspectives. And my life would be very boring if I just surrounded myself with everybody that thought like I did and Respond to the way I respond. I need people around me that can strengthen me as iron sharpens iron. He's not praying here for uh, uniformity. He is not praying for unanimity. And he's not praying for union. He's not beseeching the Father that all the churches come together in some great ecclesiastical merger and we all set aside our differences in theology and doctrine, and we all become one. It's not pr- he's not praying for those ki- that kind of unity. He's not praying for the fact that we <clears throat> create some kind of a monstrosity of denominational doctrines and distinctives. No, no. What he is praying for is Unity, and this unity or oneness is, according to Merrill Tenney, and I like how he expresses it, it's a deep and genuine experience of Christ. A deep and genuine experience of Christ, and when that happens, true unity unleashes the power of God. Now, I'm going to give you three R's for what this kind of unity is. This kind of unity, first of all, is rejoicing in the new birth. Rejoicing in the fact that we belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you know Jesus Christ, you ought to be rejoicing that you're surrounded by others who also have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. 
Unity is rejoicing in the new birth. Number two, it is refocusing on the Lordship of Christ. Where we have committed ourselves to him, he doesn't just control an aspect of our lives. We have surrendered everything to him. He's Lord. He's Savior. He is Lord. That's the kind of unity that he's speaking about here. And number three, this kind of unity is recognizing Jesus Christ to be the head of the church and because he is the head of the church, he has all authority. He has authority over the church because he purchased the church with his precious blood. And when we are focusing on the lordship of Christ and we are rejoicing in our salvation and we recognize that Jesus Christ is the head and we are not, then that is the kind of unity that he's pleading and asking his father that those who have believed in him would focus on their salvation, their commitment, and their acknowledgement that Jesus is the head of the church. Pastor's not the head of the church. Elders are not the head of the church. You as congregational members are not the head of the church. Sometimes you think you are. You see, once we understand that Jesus is the head, we don't try to manipulate for power anymore. See, nowhere in Scripture does it ever talk about getting our own way or influencing people in a certain direction. That's what causes disunity. That's what breaks the heart of God. But when we are focused on the fact that he is dwelling within us. Do you understand this, my friend? Jesus is dwelling within us. And we have surrendered to him. He's Lord of our lives. And we acknowledge him as the head of the church. Then this unity that the Lord Jesus is pleading that those who are his own will experience this becomes a beautiful reality. Now, why is this plea for unity so strategic on Christ's prayer agenda? It's because disunity in the ranks of God's people short circuits the Holy Spirit's work and it gives Satan an undue advantage and it curtails the advancement of the church. You see, when the body of Christ is disunited and arguing among themselves and trying to get their own way, and the whole focus is on others that we want to influence to look at things our way, trust me, <laughs> there's very little kingdom impact. Do you realize there is a lost world out there? And they are deeply concerned when people say, well, I wonder what's going on in that church. Oh, well, that church has problems. 
Now, what about this church over here? Well, that church has problems. Well, what about this church? Well, this church has problems. Why are we always talking about our problems instead of surrendering those to Jesus and as one voice sharing the gospel message with lost people? You see, there are some that will never, ever enter the door of a church because they have been so turned off by all the pettiness in the church. And pettiness is what kills the working of the Holy Spirit more than anything else. And so Jesus is is saying, this is so strategic. This is the way in which I want to get the gospel out. It's when my people who are called by my name evidence this, this wonderful unity by rejoicing in their salvation and, and recognizing that Jesus is the head of the church and surrendering to him. When, when they see that in our lives... They are drawn like a magnet. Not to the church, but to Jesus. You see, churches will always disappoint you. Churches are flawed. Do you realize the moment you walked in here this morning, you've contributed to the fact that we're all imperfect? Do you realize all of us are imperfect? None of us have it all together. Can you, can you imagine this? There's none of us that can say, hey man, I have followed Jesus fully and there's, there's not anything in his word that I've disobeyed. I'm... All of us are flawed. Do I hear a... An amen. Oh, there we go. Praise Jesus. Okay, we're all flawed. God in his mercy takes we who are flawed and he transforms us so that we can be instruments that make Christianity attractive. And the thing that makes Christianity attractive more than anything else is when we stop putting each other down. Listen to the conversations that people have during the week. On the phone. On social media. You would think that the body of Christ has never been transformed by the grace of God. All the hurt that happens because we have allowed the enemy to let disunity reign when Jesus is pleading and pouring out his heart that the church experiences this, this relationship, this wonderful unity that he and his father are experiencing. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 12 and verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. 
And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. In other words, as long as we keep fighting among ourselves and shooting our wounded, the world views both our message and our lifestyle with skepticism and disbelief. The world looks on and they say, aha. Uh -huh. They say they've been transformed. They say they've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus has cleansed them. But look at the way they fuss among themselves over stuff that doesn't matter. I wish I could show you some of the reasons why people have left the church. Coming to my office. Oh, the color in the bathroom isn't the right color. Well, this person didn't acknowledge me today. Uh, the pastor didn't say hi to me today. I'm going to leave. It, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And when those kind of comments are made, I just sit back and I say, When, Lord... Or is the church ever going to answer your prayer that we be one, even as you and the Father are one? This is the prayer of Jesus. This is the prayer he's praying for us and for the church every single day. And friends, it's something that we need to take very, very seriously. Now, he gives us three reasons why we're to be completely unified. Number one, unity combats satanic influence. Look at verse 11. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, that is those who have believed his message, and have believed they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father, here it is, underscored in chartreuse. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Over and over again in this chapter, on three occasions, he is praying that those who have put their faith and their trust in him be protected from the one who does not have their best interests in mind. And every time we allow Satan to cause disunity and divide a congregation, we are allowing the enemy a victory. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You see, what Jesus is saying to us is there is a spiritual battle going on. And though he's praying that we experience this incredible unity and oneness, there is also someone who he describes as the son of destruction, the devil, the evil one, who is just as zealous to keep us divided. 
because he knows that a divided church will be an impotent church, will be a church that loses its soul, that loses its vision to reach lost people for Jesus. A divided church is a church that's focused on themselves. They have forgotten about the Great Commission. They have forgotten about the great commandment to love God with our whole heart, mind, body, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. And so he's pleading with us because unity confronts the enemy straight on. He manipulates us. He gets us to think that unity is impossible. Listen to some of the comments that people make when we talk about unity. Unity, <laughs> you're not going to see it in my lifetime. Unity has not and never will be a vital part of the church. Unity is impossible. We've splintered in too many pieces. Unity is the door of liberalism. You can't have unity without compromise. Unity comes out of the New Age movement. Unity isn't part of the agenda for this dispensation. How can it be that we as the people of God do not believe Christ's prayer? How can it be that we believe that disunity is not it's going to happen? It's going to take place. Get over it, Strubar. Unity is something that's impossible. No, no. Unity is possible when we get our eyes on Jesus. When we get our eyes on him, things change. Not only do we need protection from the one who is out to destroy us through disunity, we need to assert our divine right as outlined by Paul in Philippians 127. Jot down that reference. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Instead of always backpedaling and being on the defensive, we must be on the offense, contending, striving side by side as one man to get the gospel out. Can you imagine what can happen? When we are standing side by side and shouting each other on and looking for ways we can advance the gospel to our neighbors and friends. And we do not allow the enemy to sow any kind of discord in our hearts or in our minds because we're so taken up with Jesus. Number two, unity completes the unfinished task. You see this in verse 21. Notice, he says that all of them may be one, 
just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be one in us. Here it is. So that the world may believe. Verse 23, that the world may know. Now again, one of the reasons why the world does not know Jesus and does not believe is that too often times the church is in a competitive mode. And to our, to our shame, we have focused more and more on our differences rather than on our commonalities as Christian believers. We've allowed theological biases and racial prejudice, prejudices to keep us silent instead of getting out the message of the gospel that God loves the world and that he loves the world so much that he's done something about it. He sent his son to be our savior and our Lord. As long as we fumble the ball by being disconnected from one another, the task of world evangelization remains unfinished. It's very interesting. Very interesting that though we say we believe in the Great Commission, very few of us take it seriously. We've memorized it. We've quoted it many times. But for some reason, we've never put the Great Commission to shoe leather. Do you realize today there are almost two billion people who have not once heard the name of Jesus? More than 1.5 million pastors have no theological training. More than 3,000 hidden people groups have no portion of the scriptures in their native tongue. Of the 67 nations of the 1040 window representing the vast continents of West Africa and East Asia, only a fraction of those people are being touched. In fact, the total world missionary force in those particular countries is only 8%. You see, I believe God is calling young people today he is calling people to get involved in the harvest. He is calling retired people to get involved in the harvest. He is calling people to get active in sharing their faith. Because Jesus is vitally concerned that the message of the love that he has for the Father and that the Father has for him be broadcast to the whole world. But it can't happen as long as we're divided. So important that we have unsafe friends that are on our prayer list. People that we're praying for, maybe in your family, it may be at work, it may be a colleague that doesn't know Jesus. 
We can't reach the billions of unreached people, but we can reach one. Can you imagine, just for a minute, just imagine what could happen if each one of us here today just reached one more person for Jesus? In years' time, we double in attendance. Just one. If we took certain, many of us have known the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years. How many people, one on one, are we reaching for Jesus? You see, unity gets us all excited about getting the message out. But when we're divided, we're not thinking about lost people, we're thinking about ourselves our hurt feelings, that someone has hurt us, that someone has sinned against us, and our whole vision of the world becomes very blurry, and we fumble the ball of getting the gospel out. But unity, unity hastens the task of world evangelism. And then number three, Unity champions the Father's love. Look at this. See this in verse 26. I have made known to them and will continue to make known in order that the love, here it is, that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. He's pleading that we as Christ followers are so full of the love of God that it kind of oozes out of us. Don't you like to be around a person that's positive? A person that's excited about their faith? Doesn't it just transform the way you think? Doesn't it stimulate you to be more like Jesus? You, you, You see... What Jesus is praying for here, he wants us to so experience this love that the Father has for us that when we're at the ball game or we're running a race or whatever we're doing, the people don't see us, they see Jesus. Because that's his prayer, that he would be in us as he is in The Father and the Father is in Him. And that needs to be our prayer, I believe, every single day as Christ followers. That we ooze Jesus. And when that happens, there is no place for disunity. Now, it's very interesting. The Apostle Paul tells us that the moment we receive Christ, that His love is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And every day he keeps pouring more and more of his love into your hearts. Do we understand this? When he is pouring more and more of his love into our hearts... 
That is when we as a mighty army are transformed to be sharers of this incredible love. Can you imagine what could happen here in Traverse City if all of God's people, and by the way, there are God's people in many churches, all kinds of churches. Can you imagine if all of us as Christians in all the churches in this city forgot about which church we belong to and we just began living a life of unity and love, do you think the world would sit up and take notice? Do you think it'd have any kind of an impact on gang violence? Homelessness? Human trafficking? The breakdown of the family? The lack of any kind of morality? Do you think that if all of us as God's people would get our eyes on Jesus and understand how much he loves us and all this love he's given to us and instead of putting each other down and saying, well, you know, that church, they got problems. I don't think, you, you don't want to touch that church. Can you imagine what would happen if that all changed? That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's praying that the church that he has purchased with his blood be one and come to complete unity so that the world will what be? Believe. We were talking about it. We were singing about it. What were we singing just a few minutes ago? Believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. What will help the world believe is when we as God's people begin evidencing a love for each other. What did Jesus say? He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love. Uh, the people we get along with. Uh, love those that approach things the same way we do. Love one another. It's fabulous. It's fabulous. Let me tell you, there is nothing greater than unity. What happens in the athletic world where one or two players decide they're better than anyone else? Does that team win? Mm -mm. They fumble the ball. One of the things, if you're watching the NBA finals, there are a lot of teams that never got to the finals because they had no team chemistry. They were all in it for themselves. When we stop living for ourselves and we live for him, then we will have answered this prayer of Jesus. And I believe... Trust me, I, I'm seeing it all over the place. I am seeing God reconcile people. I am seeing God stirring his church and bringing people together. I'm seeing things happen where people that haven't spoken to one another for years are actually speaking to each other. 
and they're experiencing this oneness for which Jesus Christ prayed. Let's do everything we possibly can to answer Christ's prayer. Not only is he answering the prayer of God's people, but number two, he's aligning us to the cross. He is aligning us to the cross. And not only is he aligning us to the cross, he is arousing us to fulfill the Great Commission. It's all in this prayer. I don't know about you, but I want to be available. I want God to use me in any way he can. Number one, not to give in to the devil. I'm not going to give in to him. I'm not going to allow disunity in any shape or form impact my life. And I'm going to stand as one contending for the faith so that the world will believe the love that the Father has for every single one of us. Let's stand for closing prayer. Now, I just want you to stop and think for just a moment here. I know all of us have relationships. And I'm going to give you a little assignment this morning. I want you to go back to your home. I want you to open up your Bible, and I want you in the front of your Bible to write down the name of one unsaved person that you can start building a relationship with. Could be a person at school, could be a person at work. Write down their name. So whenever you open your Bible, you see that name. You're praying for that person, and you're going to take some proactive action. You're going to invite them out for coffee. Uh, you're going to, you might even want to invite them to the pit spitters game. You know, they may not come to church, but they'll come to a ball game. Write down the name of one unsaved person you can start building a relationship with where you can share the love of Jesus and let them know how much the Father loves them. Will you do that for me? Father in heaven, oh, how you love us. Uh, forgive us, Lord, for playing right into your hands when we talk down each other. When we say negative things about each other. Oh Lord, convict us. And help us, Lord, to keep our eyes upon you. Oh Lord, fill every single one person in this room with the love of Jesus. So that his love would ooze out through us and touch a lost community that desperately needs to see authentic Christ-like believers loving on them. As they have been loved by God, Lord, help us to love this community 
into a relationship to you. Thank you for your presence, Lord. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning. And Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you.